Hi, and welcome to The Caption Life, a show for the most casual and dedicated fans of comics and a member of the Comic Watch family. I am your host, Sean. Join me and discover what the world of comics and graphic novels has to offer. From one-on-one interviews with industry professionals to roundtable discussions with passionate fans and reviews on the latest comics, TV shows, and movies. You can find me on social media under the username at CaptionLife. You can also find more episodes and information at thecaptionlife.com. Hey, everyone, and thank you for joining us. If this is your first time, thanks for checking us out. And if you're a returning listener, thanks for coming back. In today's episode, we are discussing Marvel Studios' latest film, Black Panther Wakanda Forever. I know many of you probably watched this, but for those of you who haven't yet or just want to know the details in general, here's the official synopsis and production details. Queen Wamonda, Shuri, Umbaku, Okoye, and the Dora Milaje fight to protect their nation from intervening world powers in the wake of King T'Challa's death. As Wakandans strive to embrace their next chapter, the heroes must band together with the help of war dog Nakia and Everett Ross and forge a new path for the kingdom of Wakanda. The movie was directed and written by Ryan Coogler, also written by Joe Robert Cole. It stars Letitia Wright as Shuri, Angela Bassett as Queen Mamonda, Lupita Nyong'o as Nakia, Dunai Guerrera as Okoye, Winston Duke as M'Baku, Martin Freeman as Everett Ross, Dominique Thorne as Riri Williams, and Tanaka Huerta as Namor. But before we get started with our review, we do have an awesome guest with us that will be adding their thoughts and insights about Black Panther Wakanda Forever, and that is Karima Horn, also known as the Blurred Girl, Karima is a Brooklyn, New York-based culture journalist, writer, podcaster, host, and critic parked at the intersection of geekdom and diversity. Karima has hosted red carpets, live streams, and comic convention panels from New York to San Diego and was featured in USA Today, The New York Times, The Guardian, The San Francisco Chronicle, and The Root. She has bylines at Marvel, Rotten Tomatoes, Nerdist, Mashable, Sci-Fi Wire, and The Wrap, and recently co-curated the sequential art exhibit, The Artist Experience from Brother Man to Batman at the Society of Illustrators in New York. Karima is also the founder of The Blurred Girl, a site and podcast highlighting creators of color and genre entertainment. Follow Karima across social media at The Blurred Girl. Karima, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Good. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. I appreciate you joining, and I apologize. I stumbled through no, that. It's quite fine. A bit. You did great. I'm surprised you read the whole thing. I was like, "Oh my god, he's reading the whole bio." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, honestly, it's it's very impressive, and I gotta be honest. So, you and I connected through uh, Twitter and TikTok, mm-hmm. and I knew that you had a couple of things for uh, Sci-Fi Wire, but I did not realize that you had such an extensive background and um, and everything. Like, it was just really impressive to read all that. I was like, "Oh my god!" So, I like you just done a little bit of everything so i'm just really excited to have you on the show to talk about these things so this is really cool so thank you for coming on the show i appreciate you know taking the time to come and and talk to us and one of the things that i'm really excited about is that you have a book that's been out for a while called uh, protectors of wakanda yes Yes. (laughs) Uh, black panther protectors of wakanda history and training of the dora milaje it's a mouthful not my original (laughs) title but i'm very excited to um have yeah marvel research and asked me to write the origin story of the Dormelage and I'm I was so thrilled and then I was even more thrilled when I found out that my the book would drop right around the time of Wakanda Forever. So yeah, this has been an exciting few weeks. 
I bet. Yeah, no kidding. Well, what I like to do with every guest that comes on the show is to talk about a little bit of our comic book origin story. So I want to ask you, what was your comic book origin story? Was there somebody or something that got you into it? Was there an issue you picked up and read? Um, Share with us a little bit about your origin story with comics. Well, what's really funny is um, I'm the oldest and I'm the only girl, but I come from a geek household. So, like, we all grew up watching, like, Star Trek and Star Wars, Stargate, Star everything. And um, I used to joke, like, I think we're the only family I know with, like, a family Crunchyroll account. Like, this is weird. And so, um, but the interesting thing about it was um, I, so I we didn't live near a comic book shop. Or if we did, my parents were like, they were like, you're not, we're not spending money on that, but we did have like video games and animation. So I was totally in on animation, totally in on mm-hmm. sci-fi and fantasy. And, but I didn't, I didn't, the concept of like collecting comics or getting, you know, putting money into them didn't really hit me until later. I think I was in high school when high school or college, I can't remember. I think it was high school when somebody came in with their older brothers or fathers copy it was a spider-man it was spider-man annual number 16 and all i knew mm-hmm. is there was a black woman at the cover even though her back was turned i'm like oh but i can tell an afro so i was like what is right. happening and i borrowed it from them and that for those of you who are collectors spider-man annual number 16 was mm-hmm. the uh first appearance of monica rambo and captain marvel oh. at the time and yeah. And I was just shocked. So um, for comic book readers, annuals, uh, well, I'm sorry, for non-comic book readers, annuals are like these graphic novels that have a beginning, middle, and end. And But you don't necessarily have to read a whole bunch of other comics to understand. Mm. It helps, but usually it's it's kind of like a Christmas special. You know, they come right. out once a year and, you know, Doctor Who Christmas special. It's like a self-contained story. And mm-hmm. so... um. I was just shocked. Like, here comes Peter Parker, who his spidey senses go off, and he sees this woman about to be attacked, and he was like, you know, or, you know, do you need help? And she was like, no, I'm good. And she was like fighting off attackers <laughs> and stuff. And she was, she was. Um, I'm a big fan of characters that were not born with superpowers. Um, mm-hmm. I like, I love it that when they're like regular people or average everyday people mm-hmm. making everyday mistakes. Um, that then get powers or they had get access and stuff. So that was her. She was a, like a cop and she ended up um, getting these powers. And mm-hmm. the interesting thing about that is um, just the whole concept of, okay, I've never seen myself in a comic. So right. are there more? And then that's actually what sent me on my, like on my journey. I knew about storm and stuff because like I said, I was, you know, watching animation and stuff. But besides mm-hmm. X-Men, besides that, and I just, then that's when I fell down the rabbit hole of just, I I was really interested in characters that were not the big ones. Like there was a Superman, right. the Batman and Wonder Woman. That's great. But who else we got? And I'm like, wait, Wonder Woman's got a twin sister. What? You know, and <laughs> new, what? You know, so, and then just then the first time I went to a comic book shop and I was like, I have been deprived. I'm so upset because my childhood clearly was robbed of this, you know, and, but at the same time, it was really weird because like nobody would talk to me in a comic book shop. Cause this was like back when like, it was not cool for girls to just 
like comics. It was very weird. And right, so yeah. um I I I was intimidated by the concept of like let me go and buy every month. So I was never mm-hmm. that person that bought every month. I would find a shop, buy a bunch of things, and then that'd be it. I would read the sass that I had because I just didn't feel comfortable going in every month or having a subscription. It just didn't, I didn't, a lot of the places I went just didn't, weren't welcoming like that. But then Mm -hmm. later when, you know, digital, I'm old when digital comics (laughs) came out, I was like, Oh, I'm in heaven. You know? So now I still buy floppies. I still buy graphic novels, but I tend to buy digital first just because of the speed of which I can get my hands on them. And then Mm -hmm. free comic book day and stuff like that. I will stock up on my, you know, I'll, I'll I'll fill up my long box, um, but I I I don't collect in a way that uh, I collect to read. I collect because there's really good stories. I'm not one of the. I don't have a room full of completely fully appraised, mounted in 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 glass. Like I'm not that good. <laughs> I'm not that right. good. But right. um, I am a fan, and I'm also a fan of like just all these amazing characters. That uh, and I also love finding a writer and then just following that writer through mm. a bunch of different comics, like even if it's not the same um, character. So, yeah, right. that's sort of my comic book story in a very long way. Yeah, no, I, I love that because, um, you know, my, my own personal story and, and people have heard me talk about this all the time, but I grew up reading comics because of my uncle and then got away from it when I got into high school. Mm-hmm. But what got me back into it five years ago was Marvel Unlimited when I downloaded that app and it just changed the whole game for me. I was like, I want to get back into comics again. So I love that we kind of have that same experience with digital comics of um, opening that door for us. But what I love about your story is that that was pretty much a key story about why representation matters because your first comic was Monica Rambeau and, and that, you know, gravitating to you. Like, I love hearing that and why, you know, we need to see more people of color and, and comics and media and everything for that reason. And, and um, I, I venture, you know, we're probably around the same age. I know growing up, I didn't know a lot of, uh, you're 97 of- also oh my god <laughs> you look so good for your age <laughs> i i have some friends that tell me that i've been you know i'm i'm been 25 you know for like the past 20 years or you know 15 years and all that i'm like yeah sure you know that i'll, I'll go by that right <laughs> but you know growing up like i i gotta say i i, I share that sentiment of, of i didn't know a lot of um women who were into comics but at the same time it it you know, just like what you said, it's it was kind of a weird thing because I I never thought about you know our you know is this person that I know into comics or not because it's just never really something that uh, was really I like discussed people, or was a I reality. I tell people you know? all yeah. the time like we were always there, but the dudes were never checking for us. They were looking at the girls that were into sports <laughs> and stuff. So everybody, the nerds, the jocks, everybody was all looking at the popular girls. They were not looking at the rest of us that were reading comics. So we were there, but we weren't. Yeah. we weren't what was popular. Popular. Um, right. And I also right. had like super thick glasses and everything. Like, Ugh. technology is powerful. <laughs> like, I can now see and not look like a crazy person. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, it's just, it, I, I honestly think that, um, cause I talked to so many women who were like, why does everybody think we didn't exist? And I'm like, because they just right. weren't talking to us. <laughs> Yeah, no, no, and I agree because I bet you there were people, and it's just, it just, just like we said, it was just part of the 
culture growing up, like we just didn't think that because it was just always, you know, leaned into the stereotypes of like, you know, the the boys were into the comics and the girls weren't. And, whatever and exactly. Reason. And also, the, I was going to say media because, you know, there was yeah. uh, I was trying <laughs> I was trying to explain Toys R Us to my niece the other day. I was like, so there was a store <laughs> that had toys and there was a boy aisle and a girl aisle. And, there yeah, was, yeah. and so she's like. You don't buy toys on the computer? I'm like, yeah, okay. <laughs> yes. Yes, we do now. But yeah. <laughs> toys don't actually come out of the computer. It's okay. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you went to a physical store. If you wanted video games, they're behind a cage. Like somebody had to open the cage for you. Yeah. Yeah. Tune oh, in, yeah. Tune in oh, next month when I try to explain her what a phone booth is. It's, it's, <laughs> it's going to be, that's going to be painful. Oh, yeah. um, oh, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> you, you need to tell her about three and a half floppy disk and like why they were called three and a half and floppy. Yeah. Oh, my God. God. No, you know what's really funny? I have a friend who whose father played a prank on his grandchildren. He brought mm-hmm. a rotary phone to Thanksgiving dinner and was oh, like, yeah. plugged it in and was like, dial a number. <laughs> and kids were like, uh, what? Like, do you talk at? Like, what do we do? It was so funny. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so great. Oh, my gosh. I love that. Oh. <laughs> um, well, it, let's talk a little bit about your professional career, because, you know, as I read, you have an impressive, um, you know, journey career so far. And it sounds like it stems from when you created your blog called The Blurred Girl. And so I wanted to kind of um, ask you, you know, how did you get to that point where you decided to write a, a, a blog? And since you've opened that up, like, you know, how did that kind of take off to allow you these opportunities that you're doing now? Um, so it was really, it's really kind of weird. And I tell everybody, people like, Oh, like you should teach people how to do what you do. I'm like, I'm still trying to figure out how I do what I do. But <laughs> if anybody, this is no blueprint for this. So, um, <laughs> I basically, uh, I'm actually a video editor by trade, like, or a former, I should say, I used to edit commercials for promos and, uh, like ad agencies and things like that. And so mm-hmm. that was sort of like my day job, but I've always been a geek. Like I said, and so mm-hmm. remember how I said, oh, I went down this rabbit hole of like finding cool characters and really interesting art and following writers and people. My friends, I was driving them crazy. So someone was <laughs> like, you should start a blog. And then I was like, and then they were like, somebody else said, you should start a Tumblr because again, old. And so, <laughs> so Tumblr was huge and also really big for art because it was just sort of like pre Instagram, really. And right. so I would, I had, um, the Blur Girl was a Tumblr page where I literally would just post art that I found of artists that I found that were really interesting. Um, characters of color. I remember doing like a deep dive on Echo, which makes me crack up that Echo's getting her oh, own show because nobody yes. knew who the hell Echo was when I was yelling about her. <laughs> and so, um, and now I have people like, Do you, let me tell you something about Echo. I'm like, wow, okay. <laughs> I just find that so funny because I'm like, but there was, so I, but I was really into like a lot of these characters. I was yelling about Darwin, um, mm. the X-Men Darwin, because uh, right. he, the, this, I, to this day, I hate um, X-Men first class for that yeah. very reason because they killed yeah. Darwin and I will never get over it because Darwin <laughs> has the powers of like not just regeneration but like the earth like he went to hell and became hell like he can I just oh, like he can like swallow yeah. he swallowed a planet at one point and I'm like but then like like 
Footloose shows up and shoots him in the face, and now he's. I was so bad. I was so yeah. bad. If I ever meet Kevin Bacon, I'm gonna like hit him just for that because I was just so upset. So I'm like that movie was horrible because Darwin yeah. deserved better. So I used to talk about stuff like that um, on Tumblr and and um, events, smaller comic cons, and um, artists that I would find that I would go. Does anybody anybody else know where I can find more work by this person? So mm-hmm. that's how it started, and then I started writing articles on there, which Tumblr isn't really great for, but one of them kind of went viral. And I was like, ooh, okay, so let's make this actually a legit WordPress site. I started other sites before, so mm-hmm. it was just really crazy that I started this WordPress site and started talking about um, really comics, conventions, being a fan, some of the stupid mm-hmm. stuff that happens in these spaces. And mm-hmm. Uh, it just kind of took off and it took off, I think, because of what you said, like first I had just people like, I don't know any women who talk about comics. And then it was like, mm-hmm. I don't know any black women that talk about comics. And then there were people that were like, I just don't know any black people. And I'm like, that's, I can't help with half of these, but okay. Right. And it was just, <laughs> it, but it was, it was just interesting having this dialogue, um, about being a nerd and that like the term black nerd or blurred when I first used it, it was just a kind of call sign on message boards and in, on Tumblr for those of us who were just like, hey, are you like black? Are you like anime? Or are you like, you know, Asian or 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 Latino? Are you like like uh you know comics and stuff? And it was just sort of a, a call sign to say, like, this is a safe space. No one's gonna question why you're here. And that was mm-hmm. w- where it sort of came from. I think it's grown into something else, but that's right. when we are were using it like 150 years ago because I'm 97. Um <laughs> that's that's what it was for. And so the WordPress site kind of took off, but I didn't really lean into it. I didn't really try and monetize it and into all that. It was just my hobby where I just yelled about stuff. And right. then I said, you know what, what would be great is if I, I could start shining a light on more and more creators. So I started a podcast and I started a YouTube channel and I started mm-hmm. using them the way I saw other outlets, you know, utilize. So I would go to events and I would interview people. I had my little Zoom mic and then that would be a podcast or I would start, you know, using my camera or, I mean, or my phone or whatever and interview people and then edit it because I knew how to edit. I would, you mm-hmm. know, edit stuff for my YouTube channel and then... I didn't realize what I was doing was sort of building a reel for myself because I'd never thought of myself as being doing this for a living. Listen, had I known I could like read comics and like review movies for a living, high school would have gone very differently. (laughs) Um, Right. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I was so much cooler. So, yeah. um, I just had in 2017 or 2016, really. I just had my worlds collide where I was an independent contractor editor for uh, a New York based company and they had subcontract. They were subcontracted with sci-fi wire to mm-hmm. edit a bunch of uh, ads about New York, uh, San Diego comic-con as well as edit the live shows out at San Diego comic-con. And I was like, mm-hmm. uh, they were like, I remember being in a room full of people and somebody going, does anybody know any editors that know anything about comics? And like my assistant was like, have you ever talked to Karima ever? Like, <laughs> and so they were like, oh yeah, great. So we all went out and it was just like a bunch of us in a room. I don't know if you've ever been to San Diego Comic-Con, but there's the mm-hmm. big hotel that is right next to the convention center. And we were just like all mm-hmm. in this one floor and every room was a different thing. Like, and I was in the right. edit room with a bunch of other people, with a bunch of gear and cables all over the place, just 
getting pulling footage down from the live feed that was happening on the floor of people going, hey, uh, you know, I'm standing here at the Batman booth or interviews happening on the live stage or whatever. We have to cut them down to like bite sized pieces for social or for so. I sort of became a de facto producer because people, you, when you're working a freelance on location gig, you get people from mm-hmm. all over the place and they don't always know the content. So there was people be, be like, somebody tell me what Disney character that is. And I'm like, that's not, that's Naruto. That's not, what are you doing? Right. <laughs> you know, who's that old man on the screen? Like, oh, that's Peter Capaldi, but that's Dr. Right. Who. That's also not how you spell doctor. What is happening? <laughs> so it just, I turned into sort of like this mini producer because they were, there's about, there's just a bunch of people in a situation that they didn't know about. So by the end right. of that, I was, I basically sort of secured a little bit of a job with Sci-Fi Wire and I began producing some stuff for them, some small content for them. And then someone was like, Hey, do you have any on camera stuff? Cause you're pretty good. And I was like, well, I have this YouTube channel and that sort of <laughs> turned into my little reel. And then they were like, well, we're going to be doing some live events. Let's pull you out of the room and maybe you could do some live interviews, which I'd been doing because I had my mm-hmm. podcast and stuff. And so I got to, um, go to like New York Comic Con and San Diego Comic Con and, and, um, C2E2 and Emerald City Comic Con and a lot of amazing places, 2016, 2017, 2018. And interview some incredible people. I got to talk to Chris Claremont and I got to talk to, um, it's funny, some of the comics that we were doing, I, I think, talk about tonight. I got to talk to some of those creators. And I mm-hmm. had a column at Sci-Fi for about two years called Indie Comics Spotlight, where I would just talk about indie comics. Because, again, that was my thing. That was my jam. Like, Batman right. and Superman are great, but there's this amazing <laughs> creator over here that's doing some amazing work and also a lot of the big two artists i mean artists and writers did a lot of their own independent work so i just was able to sort of lean into the independent projects and uh what was awesome about it was when people got bigger deals I was able to Mm -hmm. interview them with their bigger projects so that's how my interview with keanu reeves came about because I didn't oh. know him, but I'd in, right. but Boom Studios, who did his comic, had a lot yeah. of indie comic creators that I'd work with and interviewed. And like I would highlight some of the really, really tiny people. So when it came to do this, they were like, Hey, would you like to interview Keanu Reeves? I'm like, <laughs> I'm sorry, it's a podcast. I can't see my face. So I was like, Oh my God, what? Yeah. So, and then, you know, and the, and just, it, it just sort of snowballed from there. Ace Comic Con saw the work that I did with sci fi, asked me to interview some people. They were like, mm. Would you like to talk to Chris Hemsworth again? <laughs> and honestly, people were like, Oh, you look so calm on stage. I'm like, Yes, but inside, I'm like, Yeah. <laughs> Freaking out. Exactly. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, that, and so that it kind of snowballed. And then it's just really funny. Um, 20, what 2018 really blew me up because what happened was I went from like relative obscurity to the first Black Panther movie coming out and everybody going, mm. does anybody know any black people that know anything about <laughs> comics? Because no one wanted to be on the red carpet without some type of representation. And right. so sci-fi actually sent me to the first red carpet for um, Black Panther. And that was amazing. And that opportunity, and I don't think people realize like when you're on a red carpet and when you get to do those junkets, you get to meet mm-hmm. all of the people and the handlers and the managers 
and the producers and the reps and the marketing teams behind a lot of the bigger places. And that's mm-hmm. where you get the access. And that's where you can like really um, push forward your career, especially if you're trying to like do entertainment journalism and stuff. And right. I hadn't until that point, like when I started doing those live stages, I was like, you know what? I can do this. Like, I know the stuff and I'm, I love this and I had no idea that this was a job. So, yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, for the better part of 20, uh, 2019 was amazing. Like, I traveled all over the place, talked to some yeah. incredible people, and then 2020 happened and the bottom fell out of everything. <laughs> right. <laughs> and we all joined TikTok and here we are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, you know, and that's fascinating because I think that's, like I said, you know, we, we connected on Twitter and TikTok. And it just seems like TikTok was like the thing that everybody did. I don't know why. I don't even remember. I, I remember TikTok was like musically at first. I yes. think that's how I heard about it first. And then TikTok bought them. And and I can't remember like how I joined TikTok. But it seems like that's what everybody did in 2020 was, was they joined TikTok. Well, I think but, the nice thing about TikTok was that like Instagram, everything has to be like perfect and pretty. And like you're yes. it's like the front of the store. And I feel like. Right. TikTok is like the stock room. Like we're all hanging out. Yeah. We're all drinking. We're all like, I don't know what's happening next, but what did you watch last night? And I just <laughs> thought that was like, I liked that vibe. And I just needed that in 2020. Cause I was like, I don't think I'm leaving my house ever again. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and, and it made video creation more accessible for people because I saw what, one of the things that impressed me, cause um, I'm, I'm not at your level of video editing whatsoever, but I do video editing, you know, like as a freelance mm-hmm. and things like that. And one of the things I was really impressed with TikTok is how it gave people a way to create content without it being, um, you know, professional quality video. So you can do audio, then you can put text over it. So it's like, you know, these video memes, basically. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was a brilliant thing that had made TikTok so successful is that you didn't have to worry about having all these things look professional quality. That's what was to amazing. Tell a story. Yeah, exactly. So, well, I, I love hearing your story about how that one blog post got into on Tumblr <laughs> of all things, right? Which Tumblr, I guess, is coming back because of everything that's going on with Twitter. Yeah, like so now that's everybody's going thing. back. Like this time next year, <laughs> yeah. I'll be like, where's your Tumblr? Yeah, it's, it's all. Yeah. <laughs> but that was the one thing that I learned. Like you just have to be malleable. Like, yes. Do I have the mm-hmm. most of the majority of my followers on Twitter? Yes, but there's a reason for that. I've spent the last five or six years writing and being mm-hmm. a, a journalist. So if you're a journalist, you got to be on Twitter because it's words. Like that's that's right. what it started out. <laughs> Four pictures, it was words. And so right. that's where you would. Be. And I I just uh, I would do a lot of um, live tweeting of shows. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I would love I did that helped me, which a lot of people are also doing on other platforms now, was. It, when comic book shows would come out, like Luke Cage, like Daredevil, like whatever, we would live mm-hmm. tweet the shows, like a bunch of us as friends, and then start putting up comic book covers, like, oh, this is when this happened. Oh, yeah. this is when that happened. And like, yeah. and we just started doing that with other things. Um, I remember doing that with Luke Cage. And then I also remember just even doing that with history for things like uh, Lovecraft Country. And and, yeah. and Watchmen, Watchmen blew my mind because Watchmen was my two favorite things, which was like comics and history. And so yeah. I was like, this is, I'm in my element. And then my third favorite thing is Yahya Abdul-Mateen II. So, you know, <laughs> I was in heaven. But like just storytelling got really, really interesting because we're all having these conversations, you know, and I think that type of storytelling and conversations are now happening on places like TikTok and Instagram right. Live and things like that. Um, and I find yeah. it fascinating. 
Oh, yeah, definitely. Well, and, and just like you said, all this is just that it's centered around that human need for connections. And I think that's what social media has been able to for better or for worse has been able to allow us to connect to people that we couldn't be able to in our own physical places. Exactly. Right. Like like a lot of my friends now are people that. I met online first before actually meeting in person. And so it's really fascinating just to kind of see how you've been able to, you know, create a community based on, you know, something that everybody loves and something that you're passionate about and how technology, social media has been able to just kind of help, you know, spread that. So I love hearing that. Um, in addition to that, like we had talked about before, you wrote your book, Protectors of Wakanda. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a book about Dora Milaje. And, and I know we're you know going to review you know Black Panther Wakanda forever. And we're getting to that. But I want to talk about your book a little bit first, um, you know, just to talk about, well, first of all, I read it and I thought it was a great book. And I love so many things about it. Thank um, you. One of the things I love is how it's such a journal. Like you leaned into make it look like a journal because it has like all those little side notes and stuff like that. And so it felt like less of a book and more of like a living document type of thing. And that was the, and that was just, the goal. And I really appreciate yeah. that. I'm glad you saw that. Yeah, no, I absolutely love like it, it was really fun because some of my favorite books are of that style. Like one of my favorite books is um, a novel called Ireland. And when it was printed, it, it's it's a story about how a boy is um you know following these tales that this um storyteller would go around the country of Ireland tell about the history of of Ireland but the printed book has like these ripped edges and stuff like that and i just remember that always stuck with me of like how publishers think about not just like typing a book and printing on a page, but to take that medium and to figure out, you know, how to make it really interesting and engaging. And I love how this was a journal and being able to see all the side notes because now it's not just, you know, it's something that I felt like I was reading something that the Dora Milaje had put together as a whole group and everything. But I, I just love all the details that went into it. It was so interesting to hear about the history of the Black Panther and the Dora Milaje and Wakanda. And I felt like it is a great book if you – you know, if you're somebody who's like, I don't know where to start with comics if I want to get into Wakanda or Black Panther, this is a great book to kind of get a primer on the history of that entire world. And I just absolutely love this. So I, I want to kind of give you some time to talk about what is that book? Like, how did it come about? And, and you know, just anything you want to share with us, because I just I want to hear anything from you about, oh, about you. Your, your project but, here. But yeah. I'm so happy that you really like it. So, mm-hmm. yeah, the way protectors of OK, so the way protectors of Wakanda came about about is I did something you should not do. So somebody reached out <laughs> and said, hey, do you want to write a book about the Dormelage? Uh, somebody from Marvel. And I said, I'm sorry, me? Are you sure? That's what you're supposed <laughs> to say. You're supposed to say yes and thank you. So right. I w- to be honest, I was confused because like I said, I work as a journalist interviewing comic book creators and writers on a regular basis. So the person mm. that reached out to me was reaching out to me on behalf of Marvel, but their handle wasn't Marvel. So I okay. thought they were asking me to interview somebody who'd written a book about the Dora Milaje. Like, I thought that's what was oh, happening. And I was yeah, like, yeah. me? Wait, no, wait. <laughs> I don't understand. Am I interviewing? What is happening? Like, no, no, no. We want you to write the book. And so for those who don't know, Marvel... Okay, so first of all, we've got several things that are different here. Disney and MCU <laughs> are the movies, right? They're also like right. Disney+. Plus. Then you have Marvel Comics, which is where all these characters came from. Then you have mm-hmm. Marvel Pros. And what Pros means is like there's 
non-comics, they're not comic books. They might have pictures in them, but they're not considered comic books. So mine is okay. a YA novel, and it's just actually between you and me, it's got a lot more pictures than I thought it was going to have. <laughs> okay. I thought it was going to have a lot less <laughs> pictures than when I saw the final. I'm like, oh my god, there's a lot. So, but it was um, the concept of the book was basically uh, the when Marvel often works with multiple publishers, and my mm-hmm. publisher is uh, Becker and Mayer, which is a uh, uh, imprint of Quarto. Now, okay. Becker and Mayer has another book out that's basically a Jedi manual. Mm-hmm. And they were like, would you like to do something about the Dormelage that's similar to this Jedi manual, like trying to be a Jedi? And I'm like, yes, but there's infinitely more information about becoming a Jedi that's already <laughs> in this the wider universe of Star Wars then right. there is about Wakanda. And they were like, exactly. <laughs> that's what you're going to come up with. I'm like, wow. Okay. <laughs> um, and when I decided to write the book, I was, you know, you always have to give them an outline. And I was like, I have never done this before. I don't know how I outline, what, how I would not, the, not the mechanics of outlining a book, just like I've never written for Marvel before. I don't know what they're looking for. So what right. I went to was, I think many people have probably seen like the images of the Dora Milaje, uh like show that gets put on at Disney World and mm-hmm. all the women that come out and they have all the outfits and everything. They talk to the kids. Well, there's a mm-hmm. whole set of tenets that they always recite to the kids and they are um, tradition, honor, strength, courage, and compassion. And so I said, you know what? I'm going to make the, that the outline of the book. Like there's going to be these different areas mm-hmm. that if, if that's the Je- Dora Milaje code, just like the Jedi code, if this is a Dora Milaje code, let's make that the outline and then like shape it around that. And then from right. there I decided it was interesting. Marshall doesn't really tell you what you can't do. They just kind of let you run until you hit the fence. Right. And so <laughs> I, what I wanted to establish was like, who was going to be talking in the book right. and why they were talking before what they were saying. So mm-hmm. I said like, all right, or the origin of the Dora Milaje, Christopher priest got that. Mm-hmm. They also said, are you, you know, are you going to include the previous black Panthers? I was like, I would love to, can I include all of them? Like from Donna Hasse coach's run, you know, mm-hmm. uh, actually it was uh, Jonathan Hickman in fantastic four, who made him King of the Dead and that gave him access to all of his past Black Panthers, like the, like Avatar, like Avatar last Airbender can access all of his last. So um, that's something that Jonathan Hickman did in a fantastic four run. That was after uh, it was kind of after doom war because Mm -hmm. they were like rebuilding Wakanda. And then speaking of doom war, doom war had, the, it was the, like the birth of the Midnight Angels. Ta-Nehisi right. Coates reinvented them, but I remember early on having conversations. They're like, we don't really want to necessarily acknowledge Doom more because it's not necessarily canon to this universe. And I'm like, then I can't talk about the new Midnight Angels because that's where they came from. And they were like, right. oh, right. Okay, you can use them. <laughs> and so <laughs> it was like... So, and then, but that's the thing with the Dora. There are people that you never heard of and then they just pop up at like one book... 
Hickman is good for this. If I ever meet Jonathan Hickman, that's oh, I have a bone to pick with him because he just he just randomly named two kings of Wakanda, just made them up and dropped them in another Fantastic Four book. Um, oh wow! <laughs> and then Jason Aaron randomly came up with a couple of other kids, and I was like, uh-huh. "This is so." The whole first part of the book really turned into it like a thesis. So right, I, ha- yeah. I look like Charlie from from the uh, All of a Sudden in Philadelphia with the red oh, yeah. string. I was like, in the mailroom, yes. yeah. I was like, it was a mess. So I, um, that was a, a lot of work that I had to do to get because I also, you know, fanboys will tell you up if you don't do it right. Even though, right. even though I was going to have Marvel looking over everything. There's still mm-hmm. things that will fall through the cracks and then you get dragged all over the social media for it. Um, right. But I wanted to give an accurate description of the Kings of Wakanda, which had been listed in the comics, but they had mm-hmm. not been listed in what order and they had not been, their stories hadn't been told outside right. of T'Chaka and a little bit about Nahanda. But I was, so that I got to do that. So that part was really fun. I just knew Marvel was going to rip that to pieces and go, yeah, you can't, you can't do all this. And they were like, great. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay. <laughs> and so I was just shocked. So that was really the hardest part of the book. The most mm-hmm. fun part of the book was the fight scenes and the weapons. Yeah. And because I, like I said, grew up a geek, watching anime, also grew up watching Sunday morning, you know, martial arts stuff with my dad. And so it was just, you know, the whole second part of the book was just enter the Wu-Tang. So um, <laughs> the, the, uh, I just, it, it was, it was really important to me also to, and it's really funny because as with all books, you have pages that get edited out. And it's like, if I get to do a deluxe edition, I really, really, really want to put this page back in. There mm-hmm. was a page that was Okoye just talking. And she's basically explaining the time period that the book takes place in. Mm-hmm. Basically, this book is supposed to be a journal that is every door I get when they go into the school and they and they learn from it, but they also their classmates and all kinds of other people can make notes in it and stuff. And then when they graduate, mm-hmm. they hand this journal back to Adora that is starting her journey. And mm-hmm. so this particular journal was supposed to have been found um near the necropolis after the floods of Namor, after the uh the battle with Basically, the intergalactic. Remember when the intergalactic saga of uh, Black Panther? I don't know if you know this or not, but in the comics, there was a whole other planet of Wakanda that was found, and right. it's sort of like a Days of Future Past kind of situation where people were sent to find vibranium out in space, and they fell through a wormhole and couldn't mm-hmm. get back home, and started a whole. But they. It was time traveling. They basically went to the past and they, right. they this, this group of explorers basically started Wakanda over again, mm-hmm. but turned it into this intergalactic empire that was like, they, they were like oppressors and everything. They were, they were horrible people. And there was a whole mm-hmm. group of, uh, but the, but the one lore that everybody knew, even in this entirely different dimension was the legend of T'Challa because the people who had settled were all talking about their king. So every mm-hmm. so T'Challa at one point goes to search for what happened to these people, falls to the wormhole, ends up 
a slave in this universe and has to fight his way back out. And it mm-hmm. was just a fascinating second part of the, um, of Ta-Nehisi Kyoto's run. But mm-hmm. Wakanda, the intergalactic planet, and I mean, sorry, the galaxy, as well as Wakanda Prime in Africa on Earth, end up colliding because that wormhole comes to Earth. And they so we've got all kinds of people. So at the end of this huge battle, at the end of Ta-Nehisi Kyoto's run, mm-hmm. is basically when this book takes place. Because we've been through World of Wakanda that was written by Roxanne Gay, but Mistress Zola, as you as you know, the teach the the headmistress of the school, she was killed during that run. Spoiler alert. Mm-hmm. And so <laughs> um Okoye says, we now not only have to rebuild our ranks, we have people from all over the galaxy that are considered Wakandans. Mm-hmm. We have to rebuild the school. I am appointing a new headmistress. Like there's a whole bunch of stuff that we have to do. And our, this journal that was found by a fallen Dora, you know, we need to add to it so that this next generation had those mm-hmm. what we know. And so that's right. And I'm sad that that wasn't able to be included, but I still think people kind of get that from it. Mm-hmm. Um, And so that part was really fun. And then I think the most important chapter chapters in the book to me were actually um, compassion and courage because I Mm -hmm. think everybody just sees these women as like these warrior women and that's all they do. Um, Right. When sometimes you have to have the courage not to fight. And sometimes you also have to, to wait to see what is worth fighting for. Mm -hmm. Um, And compassion is also like that downtime. Like, you have to mourn. You have to take care of your body. You have to take care of your mind. And I think these are all like universal concepts that mm-hmm. um, whether or not, you know, you're talking about the door, you're talking about like yourself are kind of like important. And so I was really excited to put all of this in here. And I, and I, they, they can't, they don't let you dedicate books when they're licensed. But in, oh, really? in my mind, this is dedicated. To my, <laughs> this is dedicated to my niece, and hopefully one day she's like four, and hopefully one day when she's at school, I will be the cool show and tell, um, and, yeah. and the cool auntie <laughs> uh, that did something for Marvel. But yeah, I just my my big thing was really just creating this backstory and then connecting the dots. There's really very little of this book that doesn't have a genesis in the comics somewhere. But mm-hmm. sometimes it was a really obscure story. Sometimes it was a one-shot. Sometimes it but it did already exist in the comics. And what I tried to do was take stories that people, that comic book readers already knew about Black Panther and put the right. Dora in them. Like, give the, like, this is what the Dora were doing when T'Challa was doing yeah. that. And then right. also make a really interesting story for people who never read the comics, only know the movies, and are just trying to wrap their heads around, like, where all of this came from. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and, and I have to say that I have only read probably a few issues of Black Panther, and I appreciate what you said that with that because reading the book did make me appreciate a lot more about the rich history of, like I said, Black Panther, Wakanda, and Dora Milaje. And I got to say, personally, after I read that book, and, and I don't know if you saw my TikTok about I this because I, I created did. this TikTok. Thank you. Good. I, I think it would be – I loved learning about the four years of the um, – oh, my gosh. The words escaping me, so I apologize. But, like, the novitiate um, when they're going through the training and everything. Oh, the Kanwata, Yeah. 
Yes, the Kamata. Thank you. Yes. I think that would be a great Marvel Studios like special presentation where they can do an hour of somebody kind of going through that process because I think it was very neat to be able to tell a story of that process and kind of go through the different things that they would go through and how each stage it gets elevated. Um, but like you said, you know, the pictures with the weapons were really cool. I thought that was really fascinating. Um, but the, uh, the tenet of compassion, like you said, really um, spoke out to me because I think just like what you said, that's one of the things that we don't see the Dora Milaje enough as is, is that they are very compassionate people, but we always see them, you know, at least in the media with, uh, you know, being in battles and things like that, that that's actually the strongest power that they have is being able to know, like what you said, being able to know when do they need to fight and who's like their enemy and things like that. And I think that's what, you know, the movie we're going to talk about is, is one of those ways of how that's really kind of shown through is compassion has to be one of those core tenants that's uh, balances all those other things out as well, too. So I, I've I, only seen so it once. I've only seen it once in the media and that was in Falcon and Winter Soldier when I yes. when in the flashback, when I was working with Bucky and trying to break him of his programming Right. And she's very calmly talking to him, explaining. And he's like, mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm ready. And she's like, you are. We can do this. You are. Yeah. You can. And, and I was I kept thinking, how did she come up with that? How did she know to do this training? How did she know? Like, where did the concept of this mental training to fight programming come from? I'm like, they would have had to train in this. They would have had right. to know this in order for her to teach it and be confident that Bucky wouldn't just lose it and kill her. You know, she would have mm-hmm. to, you know, have, although it's very clear that they have fail safes for everything, as it was also <laughs> evident when they when she yeah. when she took off Bucky's arm like an ATM. It was yeah. very clear that they've got fail safes for stuff. So. But I just I it, there, that was a moment of compassion. There was just these little tiny moments that I've said that mm. I was wondering, where did that come from? Well, how would they know that? Then the other thing I wanted to know is what happens if they don't die on the battlefield? Right. Like We haven't seen any older Dora yet, but like they are they do exist in the comics. And I was like, right. you know, what happened if she's she just 62 with bad knees? Like, what does she do? <laughs> where does she go? Yeah. You know, and yeah. then um. Because they've got a wealth of knowledge. Like, they're yeah. not going to just kill them, you know? So right. um, that was the other thing I wanted to to learn about. And then I think the thing I'm most proud of in the book was the fact that I was able to create their actual origin story. I was able to take mm-hmm. um, Nahanda, who is one of the past, uh, one of two women Black Panthers, um, and who is an older, older uh, character, that was created by ta Coates. So I, I will say this. She's not older chronologically in the comics. She's older historically in the comics. Right. And right. Uh, other writers have written about her. Jason Arian had her rolling around, running around with Thor uh, mm-hmm. and Thor's father, like fighting. Right. Um, so there's, I think there's a Gore the God Butcher story where she's in the background. Um, oh, that's cool. So there's a bunch of uh, stories where, and I was like, if she is that old, but not the first Panther, obviously, but if she's that old and she's one of the only women Panthers, there's got there's a story there. And, right. I, and I said, yeah. wouldn't it be fascinating if she was the founder of the Dora? Yeah. And the concept of how did that get turned into uh, and what was great about it was 
there was a real life story I was able to pull it from. There's in South Africa, there's a real tribe of people called the Mujaji. I take that back. There's a rain goddess called the Mujaji and mm -hmm. her worshipers, you know, are called the Mujaji, but it's a matrilineal priestess priesthood. And so it's only women oh, okay. that become the priests and they're born into this. Right. And one of the older Mujaji priestesses, um, and I, I don't, I don't have on, I, I've never found on record who it was, one that it was like a brother, a cousin, a father, but it was someone related to her that was a male that tried to kill mm -hmm. her because he didn't think a woman should be in the throne. And she, mm -hmm. from that point on, only had women around mm -hmm. her, only had women guards. And she took a woman from every tribe mm -hmm. to, to like keep the peace. And right. she called them her wives. They were never actually her wife. Like there was nothing sexual about it, but the concept right. was they're betrothed to me. They are, their lives have been given to me. Right. And so I just read that story and I was like, that's the Joramalazi origin story. That's, that's so cool. It right there. And so yeah. I basically transposed that into basically Nahanda being the first woman panther and someone in the court trying to kill her and her one of her servants saving her life and mm -hmm. she immediately making her the first dora her and her other servant the first dora and then taking a barren woman from every tribe right because they would already be treated probably unfairly because they weren't able to bear children and right. uh made them her guards and called them her adored ones. So how yeah. did that get turned into then other people saying, you know, and then lines change, you know, uh, uh, history changes. And as more, there was another male leader that said, mm -hmm. yeah, we're actually going to say that if you give me each of somebody from each of your tribes could actually become my wife, they might be able to become queen. This is before <laughs> T'Chaka. So I tried to also pull that story to end up at the thread where Christopher Priest started, mm -hmm. which was, these are the Dormelage, they're betrothed, they only speak Hausa, only speak to the king. And so mm -hmm. it's sort of like writing a prequel when there's things that are, you know, it's like Andor, you know where you're going to end up. But, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it was, but that was, I think, the thing I'm most proud of because that was the one thing that I thought they would make me change and they left it. And I was like, I, I remember the day that I found that out, I just cried because I was like, I just created canon. Holy yeah. shit. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to curse. I was like, <laughs> no, that's okay. That's okay. I was like stunned. <laughs> um, yeah. So, yeah, I'm just, I'm super excited that I was able to, I don't, you know, it's so funny. People are like, so what's the next book? I'm like, Jesus, let me just cancel this one. <laughs> let me enjoy this one. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and, and I gotta say, I love that whole story about how she picked the Dora Milaje as, you know, identifying people who has probably been outcasts and giving them, you know, a not just like a role and purpose, but something that is probably honorable among all the whole country. Like, I, I absolutely loved reading that part. Like, I, I remember, like, of all the historical figures that we went through, that one stood out for me the most because I thought that was just such a great, you know, a, a great 
you know, action of love that that person had created, you know, out of necessity, but also to be able to, you know, provide that for people who probably most need it, you know, in, in their country. And I absolutely love that story. So I, so I gotta say, I, I'm a fan of that. I'm glad that that was your own personal part of the canon and that it made it in there now. And so that's so cool. I, I love that. So I, I hope we get to see more of that later on in, in future stories of Black Panther. Yeah, I would love to see like a comic created about her or like, I know yeah. they're in talks that, Disney Plus is definitely doing a story with Denai Guerrero as a Koye, but we no one mm-hmm. knows what it's going to be yet. So no one right. knows if it's really a Dora Milaje show or if it's just about a Koye. Like, we don't know. So, right. <laughs> um, but I would love some of that history or something like that to be in there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I love that, too. Awesome. Well, great. Well, thank you very much. And I appreciate talking to you about uh, Protectors of Wakanda. And so now we're going to switch gears a little bit to talk about Black Panther Wakanda Forever. Okay. Um, so for just like all of our review episodes, there's going to be spoilers here. So if you have not watched the movie, just be, be please be prepared that we're going to talk about that. So let's go it. ahead. and <laughs> Yes, we are definitely going to spoil it. So if you don't want that. You know, go ahead and, and leave now. Um, but let's go ahead and jump in and say, what was your overall thoughts about the movie? I know you got to see it, um, I think, a week or two ago. Um, yeah, but I, I want to get your. I have now seen it uh, three times. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> um, so the first time it was like, you know, just a gut punch. Um, I, mm-hmm. I cried throughout most of it. Um mm-hmm. It was still a gut punch the second time, but I think by the third time I was able to really, I, I, every time I see it, I've seen something new. And I definitely think, yes, even though it's a long movie, it is definitely worth multiple viewings because it's so full of symbolism. Um, right. So I, I, I loved it. I thought it was a beautiful emotional tribute to um, Chadwick as well as honoring the rest of the cast because mm-hmm. Principal photography had started on this movie before Chadwick died. So right. it wasn't just a course correct. They had to just they had to stop and like right. re come up with a whole other thing. And the other thing that I also can't stop thinking about is what a 2020 movie this is. Like the movie mm-hmm. he died in 2020. They were shooting in 2020. Um uh uh the things that were going on in the real world. At the same time that they were shooting, um, the concept of grief and how a lot of us have spent the last three years, like not really being able to grieve. Like I know I lost people to COVID. I know so many people who lost people to COVID and to, uh, illness. I know people lost people through the protests or whatever. And we've never Mm -hmm. just been allowed to grieve. It was sort of like you're locked in your house and now we're just going to come back out. Thank God it's over. Like, Mm -hmm. but it's not like we're, we're different. We've come out of this different and just that whole ritual of being able to like burn the morning clothing and things like that. These like, it's, it, it, it really was, um, it was an, I think the movie really felt like an emotional journey. That's Mm -hmm. like the fan part of me. The, the critic Mm -hmm. part of me does feel that it was a bit too long. Like I don't (laughs) think it needed to be two hours. I'm glad it was as long as it was because we got to settle into some things and not race through some stuff. But there Mm -hmm. are the the critic in me was like, ah, it could have been 20 minutes shorter, you know? Um, but I don't, I don't hate it. I think it did. Uh, and I was explaining this to somebody um, 
earlier that many times in the Black Baptist Church, it goes on for like three, four hours. Like on Sundays, you're in church for three hours and you got repast, which is food afterwards. You spend all day in church. Did you have mm-hmm. to be there that long? No, but it, <laughs> but it feels good. And right. yeah. so that's sort of it, that's what that's what I'm saying. This is like an emotional story. Now, mm-hmm. I will absolutely say that uh, in terms of characterization and things like that, Tanuk Huerta as Namor, oh my God, he embodied this character. Um, yes. Really, really loved his portrayal, the portrayal of Tenochtitlan, um, the Namora, all of them. Like, I've re- I mean, they're also their designs were just ridiculous. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah. The, it was fantastic. I liked, um, I also really liked Shuri's journey. I knew. Just from what I was seeing and hearing that we were going to, you know, they were going to just accept the fact that T'Challa was gone. That was going to be part mm-hmm. of the storyline and then we we're going to move on. But uh, that concept of we need to grieve and her not sure not being able to grieve and actually taking that journey. I thought she I actually thought the Letitia Wright did a fantastic job. Um, and mm-hmm. now what I know more about like the injuries that she sustained on set and stuff, that was a lot. She had mental stuff she had to get through, physical stuff she had to get through. Um, right. Another favorite was Winston Duke as, as M'Baku, who was like comic relief, mm-hmm. but also the voice of reason. He was hilarious, yeah. though. Um, yeah. And yeah. then I, the Academy Award has to go to Angela Bassett for yes. Rabonda. Like, I... The, oh yeah. I think the my only I only have two issues with the film and that was she didn't have to die. That did yeah, that I, didn't have to happen. Uh-huh. Um in my mind it didn't have to happen like cuz in the comics there are several things that have happened to her and one she was gravely injured and left in a coma for a really long mm-hmm. time but she recovered. I feel mm-hmm. like they could have done that. I feel right. like they didn't have to kill her. But I also heard a rumor i don't have proof of this but i did hear a rumor that it was she just wanted to, that angela bassett wanted out of her contract because you know they keep those contracts forever and then oh, no. the next yeah. black panther movie might not be till like 2028 or something and she's gonna be like what 73 or something but she might have <laughs> been like no i'm done um yeah, right. yeah so that was a gut punch uh mm-hmm. I I liked Riri. I just there was not a lot of her, but I did really like her, and I'm excited for the show. I think I mm. was I have been confused about this Riri since her announcement, and then when they said in the show that she was 19, I was like, okay, so they're aging her up, and that's okay. Right. But I right. thought we were getting an origin story TV show, but okay. Right. So I don't, yeah. I don't know how they're, I don't know how they're going to do that. Um, I loved mm-hmm. her in the, in the, in the movie though. The music was incredible. I do feel like I liked the cinematography a little bit more of the first Black Panther than this one. This one mm-hmm. felt dark. Three viewings, three completely different theaters. I felt that it, though, it was very color wise. The coloring was very, very dark. Yeah. That's the only yeah. thing I would, uh, mention from that. But story wise, uh, where we started, the journey that we took, where we ended, and then, you know, I bawled. You know, I knew that Feige and them weren't going to just let us leave this and not have another <laughs> T'Challa. Like, I knew it. Right. Um, yeah. 
how they were going to do it, I didn't know. But giving us a child and then also making him Haitian. Like, I just bawled because the people that I know, like, people I know that are, are Haitian are going through so much right now, if anybody's been paying attention to the news. Um, right. And just they need this. Their kids need this. That's just, like, a mm-hmm. huge, you know. And um, I the last thing I'll say about the movie is I think it – should have been titled World of Wakanda because we really were all over the world. And right. we were in, you know, Haiti, Cape Verde, um, obviously the United States, um, jumping around Wakanda and mm-hmm. even, you know, so I thought it was really interesting how we weren't so much in Wakanda this time. This was, this was right. uh, all the outside, France, you know, the UN, things like that. We were all outside. Mm-hmm. This is the outside looking in. Um but I really, really, I really, really enjoyed it. I really loved the 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 world building of it. They mm-hmm. did depart depart from the comics. They had to because Chadwick is gone. Um, right. Yeah. But I'm excited to see what's next. I'm just also fascinated that Phase Four started with Black Widow and ended with Black Panther, mm-hmm. and they're both characters that are gone. Right. And it's just all about like their past like i just find that fascinating right right yeah it's it's like a story of legacy basically that we're seeing especially i think i read somewhere that kevin feige said that phase four is all about introductions and the fact that these introductions are built on you know the the og characters um i think is really a fascinating way of being able to uh, project some of these new characters into you know phase five and beyond um but i'm with you as well too you know i I got to say this, you know, I have a personal story of I lost my dog like a couple months ago and I'm I don't know sorry. why. Thank you. I, I don't know why, but it's really hit me like really hard, like to the point where like I'm, I'm still like, I'll, I'll be honest, like I still battling depression. And yeah, so I, I lost my cat at the beginning of the year and it was just one of those. It's one of those things. And I every time I see a little black cat, I'm like, ah, like, yes, I, I, know. like I, I can't. I mean, on TikTok, the thing, the one of the posts that went viral was me and my cat. And, you know, oh, yeah. and he's not with me anymore and it's tough. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I'm I'm still battling that. And so for this movie to be about, like, you know, grief and seeing Shuri, you know, just like you said, like not she's trying to process it, but she's still not able to move beyond it. And, and that's all that this whole movie is. My my wife and I talked about the movie after we watch it and she made a really good point that. In the first Black Panther movie, Shuri was the comedic relief, basically, right? Yeah. Like, she cracked a lot of jokes. She was funny. In this movie, she did crack jokes, but not as often. And there wasn't that good balance of comedic um, relief that we had in the first Black Panther because Shuri was the one who's going through all this. She lost her father. She just lost her brother. Then the movie, you know, she lost her mother as well, too. And so to get hit with all of these very traumatic, very, you know, grief-stricken events that happened to her and not being able, just like you said, to have time to grieve, even though, you know, Namor said, you know, go grieve your, your, your dead and everything. Ooh, when he said she that, she didn't have time to do that. Yeah. He was like, <laughs> I know, that was cold. He was yeah. like, you're the, like, you are the captain now. I was like, damn. Yeah. I know. <laughs> I was yeah. Like, that was, that was, but listen, yeah. and that is why I've told people like, oh, Namor is an anti-hero. I'm like, no, after he killed Ramonda, he was a villain. Right. <laughs> he was a villain. Yeah. And I need people to understand that. Like, no, you took out Angela Bassett. Nope, 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 nope. So, right. but yeah, yeah. I, I think a lot of people are going to find those moments of, of, of emotional release in this movie because mm-hmm. so many of us haven't been able to do that. That's why so many critics are like, 
Yeah, it was really long, but I mean, it was good though because they right. know that it's a it's taking you on a journey, and that's what yeah. I that's what I um really really appreciate. And I also love a lot of the visual nuances, the stuff that wasn't said, like things like. Even Namor was born. We've seen that in the trailer, but like then in the, he mm-hmm. was a child and then they do that transition and his mother's like 90 and he's still a child. And he, and mm-hmm. it's because he's aging so slowly. Right. It, he's, and it was like, oh my God, he's Yoda. Like he's 50, but he's a child. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because he was so, yeah. he was so young. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. So it looks like a child is attacking this village and then how they came up with the origin of his name. Like, right. you know, uh, 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 Nino Sin Amor, like a child mm-hmm. without love. And he's like, that's why I took my name. And I was like, oh, I love that. Yes. Because in the comics, it was like, oh, it's just Ramon spelled backwards. I'm like, what? No, we better <laughs> not do that. So yeah. <laughs> it was moments like that. Uh, even little other little things like when they visit Riri in the, in the dorm and mm-hmm. Akoya is like, little, little girl. You can either come with us, <laughs> conscious or unconscious. And she's like, get away from me. And she's like waving that heater at them, that little portable yeah. heater. And they're like, oh, let's leave her here. And she can like <laughs> fight no more herself with her little heater. But then <laughs> later, that's exactly how they fight him with a heater. Right. You yeah. know, so oh, there's yeah. all these little like um, just not just Easter eggs, but just little things that I just loved um throughout the film and the fact that uh it took me the second it took me three watches to catch this mm-hmm. um Toussaint T'Challa like her her nephew mm-hmm. he greeted Ramonda at the school when when Ramonda first went to the school yes. and the three little kids came up he's the yeah. one that was like you're here to see you're here to see the school because <laughs> he knew her because he knew her which yeah. means like he knows his grandmother she's come to visit he yeah. talked to her. He knew exactly who she was. He spoke to her. So I thought that was fascinating, too, because he's and it's it shows you exactly what children can. I mean, I don't have any kids, but what children I feel like can understand if you just tell them. And there's mm-hmm. an old there's, there's so many different uh, cultures that believe that children are close to the other side so that you can explain death to them and they just get it. It's just, right. Um and so I just th- thought that it was just very lyrically done, very, uh, yes, an emotional journey. Mm-hmm. There, were there parts that could have gone faster? Yes. Were there parts that could have been shorter? Yes. But for the mm-hmm. overall, I really, really enjoyed the movie, and it's an experience. Right, right. Well, I agree. Like, even though it was um, almost three hours, for me, like, it didn't really feel like it was three hours, you know, similar to, you know, how people said the Batman didn't feel like three hours. Like for me, that's the same way with this one is there was it. I didn't really feel like things were dragged out to the point that you felt it being dragged out. I think they all had a purpose they in connecting did. with what's coming up, you know. And so I, so, um, I, I've been hearing that criticism about it being a little too long. But it, for me, it, it wasn't an issue at all. Just right. because. And, and like I said, it, it was it long. Yes. Should it have been? Yes. <laughs> like you needed because you needed that yeah. stuff to settle. If every if that was all sped up and you were just hit with things after a while, yeah. you wouldn't feel them anymore. Because exactly. you'd just be like, okay, I'm I'm shutting down now. You know, like I'm just about being bombarded. Yeah. The right. the other thing is, I heard somebody say that this movie didn't make them feel anything, but the Batman really was emotional for them. Then I'm like, I don't understand you. 
I don't know where you're from. <laughs> I don't know where your people are from. You should get that checked out. Because yeah. I don't understand how you can walk out of this movie and say you don't feel anything. Yeah. I mean, it's, I, and you know, it's, especially, this is the kind of movie where it itself as a movie is definitely powerful, but we have to go beyond of what it meant beyond the film of, you know, losing Chadwick Boseman and what it meant for so many people who look at Black Panther as something that they can connect to and, and all those things. You know, it's similar. I, I kind of compare it to um, Spider-Man uh, No Way Home because for a lot of people, they got to see the Spider-Man that they grew up in right. on the big screen right. in the MCU now. With this, it's the same thing where, like, there is an external, you know, impact for people who are coming in and, you know, just have all these things they're already bringing to the table when they're watching the movie that it has a lot of emotional impact. Like, like I already I did not cry when I watch it, but I teared up in so many places that just because, you know, especially how they handle such a tribute to Chadwick Boseman, you know, at the beginning, throughout the movie. Oh, yeah. When those, when that, when, when the, in the beginning, when the credits come up and it's silent. Yes. And it's just, cause you're so, we're always so used to hearing the Marvel music and it's just silent and it's just images of him. I was like, okay, y'all, y'all just decided to break me. You know, (laughs) it just was, um, and yeah, at the end when she's remembering, the only thing that made me sad about the end was I really feel like they should have done a thing where they remembered Ramonda also because she right. also died. I just, I, I felt like if we, if we could shift some time in there somewhere that if we could have given a little bit more time to her funeral and to her passing, because I mm-hmm. felt like kind of like she's gone, she's buried, now we're on to the next. And I was like, wait! <laughs> <laughs> like Black Widow and Endgame, yes. how like there was no funeral exactly. for her, but we had one for Iron Man, exactly. right? Yeah. So yeah, yeah it was yeah. just one of those. Um, that was an odd choice, and so. Right. But I I did get excited about seeing some of the stuff that was in my book. In the even though my book is only related to the comics, I was like, wait, they pulled a lot from the comics with yes. the Dormelage in there. So I was excited about that too. Yeah, yeah, especially when. Because um, we were talking about this before we started recording, when the scene where Okoye, you know, gets stripped of her ranking and everything, I was like, "Oh my gosh, this is exactly like what happened, Mister Zola, in your book." It be- almost like word for word, because that's you know, it, obviously the context is different because it was when T'Challa went missing, but this time it was Shuri went missing, and and the responsibility fell on Okoye. And again, it was it was. It was so emotional of a movie that you felt the emotions in so many places. Like I mean, deny they left the camera on her for a lot of that. Like, and then it was honestly nobody. I I don't remember anybody else being in that room. I just remember Denai Guerrera and um, Angela Bassett. Angela Bassett. Yeah. um, And I and the funny thing about that is in my in my book that's another that's another example of something a thread that I connected because in Evan Narciss's. Black Panther run, he wrote that story of T'Challa going missing and Ramona finding him, but T'Chaka disbanding the Dora, getting rid of the Dora before, because he was so upset that they lost his child. Um, And they didn't name the Dora. They didn't name the Dora that had got, and that was something that I got to do. So it's sort of like I was able to weave together two different parts of the Black Panther universe. And that was really exciting for me. And then, yes, that version, when I saw it in the in the movie, I was like, oh, my God, it's like the same thing. It's like an echo, you know? <laughs> yeah. And I thought that oh, yeah. was fantastic. Yeah, that was really cool. Yeah. And, and I just, 
you know, like I was saying before, it was, um, God, it was just so, what was really great about this movie is that you got a lot of grieving processes and a lot of emotions coming from so many different people that, you know, you got to see how Okoye was grieving through some of this in that moment. You saw, uh, Ramonda, you know, grieving in so many different places, you know, Shuri just, you know, not in a good place throughout the whole movie. It was so powerful in that it, 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 as an audience member, you were living vicariously through that because I think we all didn't get a chance. Um, I, I think Ryan Coogler actually said this, and this is where I'm coming from, is that we didn't get really a chance to say goodbye to T'Challa. And this is that movie was that basically, yep. you know, yep. was was kind of leaving that legacy and everything. Um, I will say my my biggest um, criticism of the movie uh, that I would have to say is that Shuri's turn from being so enraged with her um, experiences and with her grief that she wanted to kill Namor, which, by the way, I thought it was brilliant how they brought back Killmonger and how he was a reflection of how she was feeling because now she became Black Panther because of everything that's happened and she didn't have time to process the grief. And so it made a lot of sense for her to meet him and nobody else in the ancestral plane because of where she was at mostly. Like, I love that symbolism that they had in there. I thought it was a great way of them doing that. Um, but in the final battle scene, I think my biggest gripe was that it, it, she kind of sw- uh, flipped the switch a little too quick for me. I don't think it really led into, you know, her being so enraged and so furious by what's happened to her because of Namor that all of a sudden, you know, R- Ramona for me kind of just kind of came out of nowhere and yeah, she and didn't that, have a chance to part, process that. That's Yeah. And I thought the interesting thing I've, uh, about that was I wish she was able to have seen Ramonda as well, but it does kind of make sense why she didn't because she was dealing with anger. Also, right. and again, this is another comic book cut. When when T'Challa became King of the Dead and started that whole concept of accessing your previous Black Panthers, he would go, mm-hmm. he would talk to each of them and then, and Shuri did this too. When Shuri in the comics, she was caught in a, she was in a coma, basically, a comatose state and her spirit started walking the plains of Jalia. She was able right. to come back with this happened in the comics, not the movies. She was right. able to come back with characteristics of mm. people she'd met and characteristics of. So the anger made sense for Killmonger. I like the fact that she, uh, what, and I, I, I feel like there's something that was left to the cutting room floor. I feel like. We we heard what kind uh, Ramona's voice when she when when uh, Namor stabbed her. Mm-hmm. I wish we saw her there, and then right. we saw her again, so that way it wouldn't have seemed so. Wait, she's just popping up. So I think right. because if she's stabbed and you know her 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 life is sort of ebbing and flowing, even though the suit was clearly keeping her alive. Mm-hmm. Um, but before she pulled herself off of that that pole, um, mm-hmm. that that stake. I think that had we seen Ramon's face and not just heard her voice, we pro- more connection would have been made because she right. started calling for her mother then. And then when she was about to kill him, because she'd never killed anybody before. So she was calling right. for her mother's help again. And then, so I do think that we should have seen Ramonda more than once in that scene and not right. just that one time. Um, right. And I think it would have, led to okay she's changing a little bit as opposed to mm-hmm. she just changed um right. it's a, it's an it was an interesting and again 
if Ramonda wasn't dead, <laughs> I would see more of the change. Like you, you hurt my mother and I'm going to take you out. But then it's like, right. if she could have seen or her mother spoke to her through her bead, like don't kill this man. You know what I mean? If there was, right. if she was alive, it would have, I think had more gravitas. I mean, I just wanted to see her recover and be in Haiti and walk through the door with the the, the child. And when she goes there, she sees her in bed and playing mm-hmm. with the boy. Like I just wanted, I just didn't want, uh, I know her to leave this movie, this franchise. But I understand. Right. I understand choices were made, and we don't know what all those choices <laughs> were. But I do agree with you that it felt a little, especially for as long as that fight scene was. It did feel mm-hmm. a little jarring, and it would have been less jarring had we seen what uh, Ramonda more. Right. Well, and I think what really solidified for me as to why it was such an abrupt change in that final fight scene was her conversation with M'Baku. Because her conversation with M'Baku was that, like, she was scary because she was like, I'm going to go kill him and you're going to help me. And M'Baku, like, did not fight her or try to yeah, change her mind because he was scared. That was Killmonger <laughs> coming through, you know. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and so, like, the fact that she was so, you know, blindly enraged by what had happened to her, rightfully so. Like, it, for me, I, I think you're right. Like, if Ramonda wasn't dead but was in a coma or something like that, then there's a lot more cushion for her to not be um, as as fueled by her um, her hatred with Namor at the moment. And that it could have been a mo- little bit more subtle and more, uh, progression in terms of that um, switch to compassion. I also but, think. I also think if her HUD, if her helmet, uh, what yes. when she was impaled, if if Grio had shown her all of the people dying, all right. of the people on the ship dying, it would have given her an impetus. Like, oh right, there's other people. Um, right. Yeah. So I don't. Yeah. This is not Letitia Wright's performance. I, th- mm-hmm. I my issue was the editing in that section. Mm-hmm. Like I yes. would have shown other things, yeah, just to get her to that point. So yeah, I had this. Yeah. I had the same um, argument there. The argument about oh, there's no way she could have fought Namor and won. I'm like, yes, there is, because even in the comics, <laughs> she she had to dry him out to beat him. Yeah. Uh, that was also right. in Doom War. Um, she yeah. had to dry him out to beat him, and she had to, but she didn't kill him. But mm-hmm. um, and it's funny because there's a set of beads that were in that run that I included in the book they're they're they basically take they can surround somebody and take all the um oh, the water right. out of the air and they were created for <laughs> that's warm. right yeah um so yeah there was just all these moments, the daggers like Aneka's daggers I was like yes <laughs> these are in the thing um and obviously the moment I saw the Midnight Angel suit, I started yelling because I oh was like, God. yeah, you know, I know. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I got to say, when I was watching that part, I was like, I can't wait to talk to Karima about this because I'm sure she's going to flip out about that whole thing. It's just so cool seeing that, you know, so. But even even their personalities, I love the fact that like Okoye was like, no, we used the spear and Aneka's like, OK, but I like these, <laughs> you know, because because and that's kind of like in the book, the different personalities, because um, mm-hmm. in the book, uh, Io doesn't. For instance, you hear Koye say, I don't like all the time, you know, ugh, guns so primitive. But primitive, yeah. And I was like, they're not primitive. It's just like if we've got bullets and are made of vibranium, we got to go dig those out. I'm not doing that. 
<laughs> you know, so it's just like different reasons for, you right. know. But yeah, I mm-hmm. I was really excited. This was a very woman-centric movie, and I love that. Yes. I love yeah. the whole scene at the UN juxtaposed mm-hmm. with the French commandos trying to, like, steal vibranium. Right. I loved the whole Dora coming out of the vault, you know, and mm-hmm. bringing them into the UN. Oh, yeah. You know, I think the only other thing, the only other issue that I thought, not issue, just storyline that was very strange to me in the in the movie was Ross. Ross. Yes. And <laughs> I was like, OK, like I understood Ross's purpose, but I was like, uh, you're you were married to. <laughs> I keep saying he, he her name was- like De La Fontaine. Yeah, yeah. Um, Val, Valentina. Yeah, right? Valentina. I was like, you were married yeah. to Valentina. Okay, I, that is new. And then yeah. also, like, well, if you were married to her and you divorced now, you know she's a terrible person. Yeah. So why would you trust? You know, right. it was just one of those yeah. the, one of those really strange things. But now the question is, because here's the thing, Okoye at the end of this movie. Okoye is in the United States in Midnight Angels armor rescuing Ross. Is that the new show? Yeah, right. <laughs> Ross and Okoye, you know, buddy another cop. Buddy, right, another buddy, buddy cop, cop thing. Like, what are we doing? Yeah, yeah. Well, and and you're right, because I, I felt like, as much as I love Everett Ross, he definitely felt more like a device to set up Valentina exactly. as more of a central figure in MCU than like why she was in the show. Because it's one of those things where if he had left that part out, it still would have been fine as a show, like a movie. Like nothing would have really been falling apart or anything like that, you know? Like, because they could have written, I mean, honestly, they could have figured out where Riri was at without Ross. It was just more of like, that was convenient. You know, he owes us a favor. He's going to save us some time in doing that and everything like that. But, you know, have you left that whole storyline out? The movie would still made, made a lot of sense. So I think it was just more of a story device to kind of start, um, you know, stitching Valentina in with, you know, the Thunderbolts project they're going to have later on. And it may be a big role in the MCU and everything. But yeah, it, it was kind of an odd uh, I, thing to I see. I call that a... Uh, uh an Ultron moment because yeah. Age of Ultron is is my least favorite MCU movie. Well, no, it might be Thor: The Dark World, but the mm-hmm. the but but I really uh, Ultron is up there. But when I had to get to Endgame to realize its importance, because if you go back right. and you watch Age of Ultron, it's setting up everything in Endgame yes. and everything. I'm like, oh well, okay. The entire movie is like that <laughs> thing, you know. Um, right, but. I def and I all I definitely thought Namor's concept of protecting his people and just showing how old he yes. is was really really brilliant. I also like the fact that he after you know meeting with Shuri, he was like, "Yeah, listen, it's not about the scientists anymore. We got the scientists. I don't have to kill her. I just need her to not make more things that people can use right. against us. I don't have to kill right. her. Like, but what I am going to do is take out the surface world. They keep coming for us. Right? You know? Yeah." Yeah. And I just thought that was his reasoning made sense. And again, I was with him as an anti-hero until he took out Angela. <laughs> I know. Well, and, and it's really interesting because especially the movie poster, how the movie, um, the poster just shows how they're um, 
their viewpoints are kind of similar in terms of they're about their people first and protecting their people first. But for uh, Shuri, you know, their people is beyond Wakanda. Like, yes, Wakandans are their people first and foremost, but they do see themselves as part of the greater world. Now that T'Challa had opened Wakanda up to the world, um, you know, that we saw at the end of Black Panther, whereas, um, you know, Namor is still protective of his people and rightfully so because of his experiences that he's had and what's happened mm-hmm. and everything like that. Um, so it was very fascinating to see that moment with Shuri, you know, seeing everything that's uh, in Tolkien, um of the people and then using that really cool callback at the end before she decides to kill him to see how there's so many parallels between her people and their people. And that it took that meaning to really appreciate that and to get, come to an understanding. And that's one of the things I really loved about that scene, that movie is that it was a moment where two peoples who didn't really know each other or only just heard each other could really come together and potentially be able to, create peace and get to know each other from different cultures, even though they're very different. There's a lot of similarities and there's a lot of things that they can be empathetic with with each other. And I think that was just so, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Asked, um, gosh, I forget what, you know, aspirational Mm -hmm. of what we can do as humanity is to try to be able to come to the table and get to know each other and understand each other and have that empathy. And and so I love that scene. And of course, you know, that got botched when (laughs) the key saved her and everything, but I, I just thought it was a really powerful story that they told that I thought was necessary for the movie to be able to do the rest of the parts, which again, I think, you know, there's so many parts that were a little bit long, and that's why the movie was long. But as we talked about, it was very necessary because it had you taken that part out, Namor would just been another. You know, I'm a I'm a villain with you know I'm with no death basically. Yeah. You know, like I'm a villain because I'm going to take you out because I hate everything basically. Exactly. You know? And this kind of gave you know more depth and more layers to why he's doing those things. And then obviously when that happened, he felt betrayed. And that's why, you know, he became a villain and everything. But, so, and and yeah. I, I, the last thing I will say is that I also like the way that they tied Namor's origin story to Wakanda through Vibr- Vibranium. Because also mm-hmm. in the book, although I don't have his version because I this is new to the MCU. Um, right. There's five different versions of Vibranium in the comics. And so the and it did drop all over the world. That's mm-hmm. part of the point. There's the there's a one that's exists in the North Pole as well. So right. there's all kinds of uh so it makes perfect sense that one a meteor would have landed underwater. But I also love the fact that there's some type of spiritual element to both people who are connected to their land and connected to their ancestors, and they were mm-hmm. told through those spiritual practices how to use this herb. You know, in a very similar way, but in two different places. And right. Just right. the fact why they're, and, you know, just even explaining everything, like why they're blue. Well, they don't have oxygen. So they're turning blue because they can't breathe. And then they get in the water mm-hmm. and they're not blue anymore. Like I just, right. I thought, I thought a lot of that was handled really, really well. I mean, this is, mm-hmm. I'm going to have to watch the movie a few more times to, you know, <laughs> make my appreciate fun. all that. Yeah. But yeah. It, it was, it was done. Um, really, really well. I mean, right through the end credits, with watching the fabric that burns, uh, mm-hmm. uh, into that turns into the 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 Black Panther suit or her suit. Um, and honestly, I'm excited 
there are, I just wrote an article for Mashable about the, uh, T'Challa's various children in the comics in the different mm-hmm. timelines. And I, uh, the one I th- I'm gravitating towards now is the Azari timeline of the new Avengers. And it was a situation where all of the Avengers, because of, uh, in, a, in, the t- in his timeline, Ultron won and took out mm-hmm. the Avengers. And this is all of the kids of a right. lot of the um leaders and I think it's uh it was a it was an animated movie I think you can still watch it somewhere um mm-hmm. but it, there was definitely a comic and we are already in a multiverse we got Kang mm-hmm. coming up so there's right. literally no reason why we can't meet a T'Challa in a different timeline we've already seen it in what if right you know yeah. um and the next generation of the MCU is going to be kids I mean, mm-hmm. we've got everybody. We've got Cassie <laughs> Lang. We've got um, Kate Bishop, Hawkeye. We've got right. um, even Heimdall's kid now, Axel, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we've got, uh, and then even Elijah, Isaiah Bradley's grandson, who yeah. we don't know yet in the MCU whether or not he inherited his father, you know, serum from his father. We don't know. So, right. It would make a lot of sense if there was also like a kid T'Challa, you know, just mm-hmm. because the franchise at the end of the day is for kids. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I'm I have had so much fun talking about all this because, you know, I've been geeking out over this movie for the past week and a half or so. And yeah. I was like, I could finally talk to people about it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No, this, yeah, this was a good conversation uh, to talk about the movie and what it's meant and everything. Um, I did have some people who also share their thoughts. I want to, um, to share with our listeners as well, too. So um, the ODPH podcast said it's a welcome introduction to Namor and the MCU mixed with fantastic action scenes to balance out the emotional moments. Another Marvel Studios hit. Uh, Baron Hendricks from Instagram said, I watched Black Panther Wakanda Forever twice already, watching it a third time today, actually, of this recording. This movie is a masterpiece from beginning to end. This whole movie felt like a tribute to Chadwick Boseman from the representation from different cultures, such as Mesoamerican Mayan culture to the Afro-American. This movie had it all. The action sequences and the music were an amazing addition with the scene you could feel Every emotion from everyone. This movie ties well with the rest of MCU. Can't wait to see Ironheart's roles in the future. Uh, said hoping the champions and also Tolkien's role in the future of MCU. Uh, JT from Beyond the Fandoms podcast said a beautiful, powerful sequel to the amazing 2018 film that deals with the stages of grief, loss, and love. Two nations who are not so different as you might think. Uh, he seen it twice already and gets better after the second time. And Mr. Marvel 613 said, I was very impressed to be honest how they handled Chadwick's passing when I saw the movie more about overcoming grief and moving on. So it sounds like, you know, a lot of things we, we had talked about, um, you know, was also very powerful for uh, people who watch it as well, too. And, and we have a lot of um, agreements on those as well. Thank you for everybody who uh, shared their thoughts on the movie. So let's go ahead and end this episode with comics that we're currently reading. So, Karima, what comic book are you reading right now that you want to share with us? Oh, it's funny because I was thinking about the future comics that I want to read. Okay, so the comics I'm actually <laughs> reading right now, I, I, I am reading um, Wakanda 
for obvious reasons. Um, I was, <laughs> but also because the writer Evan Narciss is the writer that wrote that T'Chaka story I was telling you about, the one yeah. where T'Challa gets lost and you hear about, you learn about his old backstory. Um, mm-hmm. he also wrote an uh, amazing book that's out right now called The Wakanda Atlas, uh, which is a topographical oh. map of every area. And I tell people, if you like my book, buy his two and then have them together if you're fun if you yeah. like historical fiction um yeah somebody just told me that they're gonna buy both and do a role-playing game because between my book and his book oh and I was that's like, so cool send me <laughs> that thing because that's amazing um yeah. and yeah because he's it's got like it's beautifully rendered too it's bigger it's physically bigger than my book and so yeah. you get to see like all in beautiful color all these different areas of wakanda and stuff so I, I want to support. And so I've been reading that. Um, I, uh, see that one comic that I'm looking forward to is, um, Scotty Young is returning with I Hate Fairyland. Um, I yes. interviewed Scotty Young years ago and he's, a, he's a great guy. I, and mm-hmm. he had a, uh, he does a lot of those chibi variants of, com- of the Marvel characters. Uh, but, I Hate Fairyland is literally, he basically did a uh, retelling at one point of Mm -hmm. Alice in Wonderland. It was an Alice in Wonderland comic book. And he basically OD'd on that comic, on on that story, and was like, I never want to see Alice in Wonderland again. And I Hate Fairyland (laughs) happened. It was about a girl that was just trapped in Fairyland, Fairyland and can't get out. And she's uh-huh. she's psychotic. She's done everything. She's bombs, weapons, guns. She's but because it's fairyland, all the weapons and things like that turn into like poofy things and all the people that she's trying to kill, you know, and she can't curse. It's kind of like the good place, like holy mother for King Shirt Balls. Like she can't say, <laughs> you know. And so she's uh she, it's it's really really funny. She's returning because she's aged up a little bit, which has been tough because she's basically been stuck in fairyland for like hundreds of years at this point. And so I look forward mm-hmm. to see because it's just it's it's ridiculous. And because his artwork is so detailed and so bananas, it just ends up being a lot of fun. So yeah, I hate fairyland is another one. And uh, mm-hmm. I'm actually what between writing the book and a lot of stuff that's going on this year, I actually am behind on my indie comic reading. So I'm going to be going back to, to play catch up on a lot of runs as well. Right. Well, you know, you know, you're not a comic book reader unless you have an unread pile. Right? Oh my God. I've got an unread <laughs> stack over here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I have like a whole bookcase of them. Yeah. I, 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 I get you. <laughs> um, no, that's awesome. So the comics that I'm currently reading, uh, Right now, I'm reading Dark Knights of Steel from DC Comics, written by Tom Taylor. Mm-hmm. He's and amazing. He's oh my gosh! You know, I I I've been reading his uh, Superman Son of Kal El story. I've um, only read the first few issues, but I absolutely loved it. And I didn't realize when I started getting this that he also wrote this one as well too. And I can see why DC just made him an exclusive because he's just banging out just a lot of great stories and this is just a prime example of one because it's it takes place in medieval times so it's like a what if story of what if you know Kal-El and, and his parents came to earth around you know I think 1500 1600s and it has all the you know same DC characters that you've seen you, you know Batman's is in there um Wonder Woman's in there um 
Kara L's in there, although I, she's like a sister to Kal-El as opposed to a cousin. Um, but it's all a medieval time. So it's really cool to see this story um, that he's created played out. And he has a lot of fun with it because he can kind of pretty much do whatever he wants. Do what he and wants, it's, yeah. I, I don't, yeah. And it's not like really can't. And it's a lot of fun. And it's really interesting and a very like cool dramatization of everything. And so it's a really good one. It's one of those things I have um, – all eight issues so far, and I started last night. And I only the only reason why I didn't finish it is because I got really tired and, and went to bed. But I couldn't. I, it's like as soon as I finished one issue, I had to read the next one. So it's really good. I, I recommend if you like um, any of the DC comics or Tom Taylor one that that is definitely a series to pick up. So awesome, yeah. Um, and then some of the list, listeners have shared what they're reading. Joe Loves Comics said, I just finished reading the first trade of Black Science and really enjoyed it. I'm excited to read more, which I have not heard of Black Science. Have you heard of that one before? I've heard of it, but I haven't okay. read it. Gotcha. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I, I, I think because uh, the, the cover, I was struck by the cover when I first saw it. But it's a Rick Remender story. And Rick Remender is is very good. So, I mean, right. that. Again, on the uh, to-read pile. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, yeah. Uh, JT from Beyond the Fan of Podcast said he's currently reading Captain America Judgment Day right now. The cat book was so good. There's a five-page fight scene with no dialogue and just action between two characters, and it was awesome. So I got to talk to him about that sometime, but that sounds – if you can do like a five-page fight with no dialogue and make it really intriguing like that – um, that says volumes about the artwork of being able to to do that sort of thing. And so that actually captured my attention of of what he said there. So that'd be really cool to check out. And, and by the way, just just a comment about Black Science. It's it came yeah. out in 2013. Like it's not necessarily new. And I right. and I love it when you can just read something that's finished. Like I was I was uh I was recommending a hundred bullets to somebody the other day, which is epic if you haven't read that and 100 mm-hmm. bullets is another one was like oh because i'm reading i'm running into a lot of people who are like i want to get into comics but i'm not waiting i want right. to read the whole thing i don't want to wait till yeah. next month and i'm like okay so i've been like talking about a lot of graphic novels so black science is another one that's it's finished and that's why if you want to go read it it's a good one to jump into yeah definitely i, I call it the netflix effect right yes. because we now we just like to binge everything. Some people are okay with getting an issue in a month, and some people are like I'm waiting until the trade comes out, then I'll just read all one sitting. So yeah, <laughs> yep. Um, and then last but not least, Andy Larson from the Last Comic Shop podcast said, "I've started collecting the 2001 series Jack Kirby did for Marvel back in the mid 70s, which I I knew it was a movie. I did not realize it was a comic book series from Jack Kirby. Wow." Yeah, so that you learn something new every day, right? Um, like other stuff from this era, like Kamandi, uh, yeah, Kamandi and Devil Dinosaur. Kirby's unique mixing of the prehistoric and futuristic is something that needs to be experienced. So, uh, so yeah, thank you everybody for sharing what comics you're reading, uh, Karima. Thank you so much for coming on the show to talk about your book and to talk about Black Panther one uh, Black Panther Wakanda Forever. Before I let you go, would you like to share with us where people can find you online as well as your work or anything else you want to share? Sure, you can find me the Blurred Girl T H E B L E R D G U R L all over the interwebs. Uh, I'm still kind of on Twitter for, until it explodes, <laughs> um, and then I'm on TikTok as well as Instagram. 
Um, I please check out Black Panther Protectors of Wakanda History and Training Manual of the Dormilaje. You can buy it wherever you get your books. If you would like a signed copy, you can go to theblurgirl.com and uh, or actually click on any of my bios on, on social and there's a way to get get your hands on one. I'm getting a new shipment in next week, so the next set of signed books can go out. Um, <laughs> please also listen to my other podcast through it's a through travel channel called Pop Paranormal. It's a horror podcast. That I do with my my sweetie oh, Chuck, cool. and we talk about horror movies, and we oh, nice. and we often talk to like the creators behind them and things like that. And um, he, it's sort of like a Mulder and Scully situation. Like I'm the one who's like looking at it from like a film critic perspective, and he's like, "Let me explain the blood spatter in this one," you know. So <laughs> it's it's really a fun time. So if you get a chance, please listen to Pop Paranormal, and uh, yeah, just. Keep following me. I have some other projects in the works that I can't talk about yet, but at the top of the year, there's going to be another big thing that I get to drop and I can't wait to t- talk about it. So yeah. And I'm going to awesome. be, I'm going to be doing more stuff like you. I'm going to be trying to go live more and stuff and TikTok and uh, just trying to, as we coast through the end of the year, just hang out with people more. Awesome. Thank you. I'll make sure to put all those links in the show notes as well too. Thank you. So. Yeah, well, thank you very much. And again, thanks for coming on the show. And, and best of luck with your projects and everything. I'm very excited to see what comes out of that. Thank you so much for having me. And that wraps up another episode of The Caption Life. I hope you enjoyed listening. And don't forget to hit the subscribe button. You can follow us on social media at Caption Life. And if you like what we're doing, give us a shout out by tagging us in your post or send us a message. For more information about us and all of our previous episodes, visit thecapsandlife.com. 